The recent popes, John Paul said, now's the time. This is the moment. Literally thousands of people in our diocese have experienced that love through the power of the Eucharist at those wonderful events. And to see that happening monthly, 40, 50 or more people going to confession monthly is really amazing. People just keep kept coming and coming and, and there was lines out the door, down the hall, down the church. What does it look like? People falling in love with Jesus, coming to know how deeply they're loved by Jesus. But not just in a moment, but, but to surrender their entire lives. You surrender your life. You make it your aim to please the Lord. When I hear Greg Schleter and Peter Herbeck talk, I want to buckle my chin strap and take the field. That's what's happening here. People are taking risks. It's time to move. More than a moment, this is a movement. You're tuned into Ignite Radio Live, and we begin right now. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to 2019 Special Edition of Ignite Radio Live. Over the five mighty stations of Annunciation Radio, you are with Greg and Stephanie Schleter and very dear friend guests, Lee and Liz Strang. Absolutely. So, folks, why this classical intro? You hear some wonderful clips that go back to four or five years ago, which is to suggest that coming up February 2nd in a few short weeks, we mark five years, the five-year anniversary of Mass Impact. The Schleters have only been in town six years, but that marks five years of Mass Impact, which has been a movement sustained by your prayers and your engagement and your love, a movement of hopefully breaching the big chasm that we all face between professing it and living it. It's a big chasm. I'm going to say it again. The big chasm between maybe knowing it, professing it, even encountering it, and actually living it as a way of life in our marriages and families. It is a challenge. But uh, you know what? It is what we were made for. And we're so blessed by this radio program that gives us the opportunity to share in this journey, to be honest about the challenges and realities, especially in marriages and families, of living this Eucharistic life, to live holy community that corresponds to Holy Communion. So we're really honest about the journey. We're really honest about the struggle. And we've been very blessed the last number of weeks to include married couples uh, who have given great witness to us in the authenticity of their journey, the struggles, the challenges, and the strengths of this tonight. But um, So that opening intro really was that. It's hearkening back to five years ago. And I like hearing it because we haven't changed. The same Holy Spirit, the same core demand of marriages to become what we are, as John Paul II says in Familiar's Consortio 17 family, become what you are. That is our core journey. That is the focal point. If we become what we are, we will see the kingdom come around us. The greatest thing we can do for everything around us is to receive God's grace alive within us. And we have an awesome opportunity to help you make that happen this coming Saturday, January 20th. January 20th, 12th. <laughs> January 12th, we have our marriage mission retreat. Again, January 20, January 12th, why can't I get it? It's, it's the okay. New year. We're at St. Joan of Arc. Our imperfection. That's right, Bethlehem, baby. 8 30 a.m. to 3 30 p.m. Father Nicholas Rao from Who's the. Who's Father Nick? He's from the Diocese of Erie, and he um, has been involved in seminary work and spirituality work and formation out at Creighton University. Institute for Priestly Gannon. Studies. Yep. Um, formation. Mm-hmm. Yep. Faculty. Uh, Gannon University. Just, I've been on retreat with him many times, and he really is the real deal. Just a good, holy, solid priest 
who has a real heart um, for this ministry for married couples and the family. So sign up today um, at massimpact.us forward slash lit marriage. You will not be disappointed. And just take that time as a couple to just really do this together. There'll be mass, confessions, adoration, uh, three awesome talks that he will give, and just a day to really grow together in the Lord like that. What a great way to start off the new year and just hit family mm-hmm. seriously. In a journey together, support each other in the journey, not just for a great day and an event, but it will lead into committed weeks of talking and praying as couples and homes for those who choose that. And hopefully families are doing this. We know it's a struggle. Let's just keep it real. But there's nothing more powerful than families putting that flag in the sand and making that time to talk and pray in their homes. So We're, go there right now, massimpact.us forward slash marriage and sign up. Let's pray in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Dear Lord, we just come before you mindful that there's no words we can say that surpass you who are the word. We who are listening, God, are so accustomed to ministering in our marriages and families and work. We want to have the grace of humility to be ministered to right now and through the duration of this program tonight. We want to hear your voice. We want to be attuned to um, your great love for us, God. And maybe some of those shadows or clouds or weeds that are in the way that we renounce in the name of Jesus, that we can experience that indwelling of your spirit, God, not just in words and easy memorized phrases, Lord, but with deeper confidence that what you call us to, you provide for. And Lord, right now, just keeping it real in this community, you know the needs of many people, but to mention a few, we lift up Kate Kelly right now battling cancer, the beautiful Kelly family. We pray for healing, that you unite our hearts and our minds for her right now, that she know your fatherly love and healing presence, and we claim in the name of Jesus and surround their entire family. We pray for the Sadawis. We ask for complete healing of Bob, Lord, brain cancer, that you uh, right now, through our prayers, Lord, by the power of of your spirit, in the name of Jesus, that you heal him. Lord, we do praise you for healings that have taken place with Rich Cronin and Joe Orth and some of the other testimonials we've heard on this program and so many others who are listening right now. Lord, we unite their deep desires, God, as one voice being lifted up to you that um, we would know, Lord, in our dependency upon you, that you want us to call upon you, that you want to show your love in this day. So we do ask for healing of heart, mind, body, and soul. And now, truly, Lord, for this community here in Toledo, God, that your kingdom come and your will be done, first and foremost in our relationships with you, overflowing to our marriages and our families and then the world around us, that we claim this place for you. And we do pray in a special way for the McDonough family, little Ezekiel, called home at nine months, that you surround them and comfort them. And we thank you for their great faith, God, and uh, as he is uh, funeral tomorrow, Lord, that the community all the more be mindful that as much as we desire them to be with us, all the more do they, our deceased beloved ones, desire us to be with them. May we be comforted by that awareness so that this place is fleeting and you call us to journey together and to seek you, Lord, above all else. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. 
So we got a lot to talk about tonight with the Strangs because they they have so much wisdom and insight and candor and realism to bring to the conversation of marriage and family. Seven beautiful kids. Lee is a professor. He's at the University of Toledo. He's now actually at Princeton, though, taking a sabbatical and writing an award-winning, I don't know what you call it, not dissertation. Book? Manuscript? That's called book, right? Manuscript. (laughs) And uh, you've heard Lee talk about address many issues that are pertinent to Catholicism. He is. And, and much to talk shows. about. Trump, of course, addressing the nation tonight for eight minutes at nine. Tune into that. We're going to probably have to get the replay. But uh, important things, folks, playing out in politics are woven into our call to holiness. They're not separate. And we delight that the strings bring that. Liz is a little subdued. She's a little quiet on her political opinions if you're connected to her <laughs> through Facebook. She's my favorite irascible political Thanks. commentator. No, we love them. You know, he said and just, he was going to get that word in. No, no, I, I do. And I want to say um, just no, the, the big point that I love with the strengths, you guys and many others, is that we as Catholics come before God and that we have the conversations with respect and candor, that we attend to truth, that we attend to what God has revealed and recognize, you know, we got to talk politics. We got to talk charter school, which we're going to talk hopefully later, uh, an exciting project that's coming to the city. But before we get there, we want to start at the very beginning. Very good I'm place cueing to you start to for. cue them. So yes. um, you hear us quote Revelation 12, 11, all the time. They defeated the enemy, Satan, by the word, I'm sorry, by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. As Catholics were so blessed, the blood of the lamb, our awesome mass, and the word of their testimony, just to to say it aloud, the Mm. words. We don't need a huge testimonial because all of God's work and grace within us is that huge testimonial. It's just really sharing our story with others. And I know it's a cheesy word to say, sharing, because <laughs> it has such awful connotations in my world. But just really just to bring forth, you know, just our life, mm-hmm. because the Lord is saturated in that. And you guys give great witness to it. I remember the very first time we met you guys, I believe, was at um, Holy Rosary Cathedral. And we had heard of you through Greg's brother, Nathan, and whatever, and um, just a neat connection. But I remember being struck by your beautiful children, your bow tie. (laughs) I'm pointing to Lee, not Liz. (laughs) And just the conversation went there right away. Like, And I thought, Mm -hmm. this is so good. And I love how Father Ricardo, who's a great hero of mine and many others in this station, but like he speaks of, you had mentioned, Greg, you know, religion and politics. People are like, don't talk about it. Don't go there. And like, that's the most important thing to be talking about. Mm-hmm. And we need to learn, unfortunately, because most of us haven't learned it, to be able to discuss things in in a normal kind of way sure. where it's not a personal attack or mm-hmm. taken that way or, you know, just to be able to have those discussions. And you guys, I remember just being like struck that I don't even remember what it was about, something constitutional, something. Mm -hmm. And um, I was just struck by that is really cool. Like we don't know them. We just met them and we're already getting into this a little bit. And it wasn't even a disagreement. It was just like, wow, we're going there. So I appreciated that very much. Anyway. So, uh, yeah, setting aside lesser (laughs) allegiances for the ultimate allegiance, which is discipleship. Uh, being children of God. That's a challenge for all of us. You know, we like our stripes, our human stripes, our athletic teams, and our political parties, maybe, but we're challenged in this day and age. What is God's will? What is his desire? And on this earth, it's all imperfect, so we have to be discriminating. We'll get there down the road. So um, before we go further, let's let's hear a little bit of the backstory 
And we'll begin with you, Liz. Share with us a little bit of your background and um, how you really came to see and uh, desire to pursue Christ in the fullness of our Catholic faith. Okay, well, thank you, Greg and Stephanie Lee, and I appreciate the invitation to come on your show tonight. Thanks for saying yes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, my backstory is that I grew up in Iowa on a family farm. Awesome. Yeah. Six. um, (laughs) There are six kids in the family. (laughs) Yes, we had cows and pigs on the farm and lots of corn and soybeans and all that. Um, I love growing up on the farm. Um, What was your favorite thing? um, Just that it was out away from everything. You Mm. know, it was quiet. um, And it I just really enjoyed um, all my younger siblings. How many? And there were five younger siblings. Well, there are six of us all together, okay. so five other siblings. And, um, yeah, we just had a really nice time. Um, loving parents. Um, Catholic? Yes. And um, my grandma and grandpa lived up the gravel road, and my aunt and uncle, and just everybody lived near us. Um, so it was just felt very normal. We all went to um, the country Catholic church that was surrounded by cornfields out in the country, Castle Grove, Immaculate Conception, um, and went to grade school at the local Catholic school, and then the public school, and I don't know. I mean, we went to church every Sunday, religion class, and religion um it was just, you know, it was just a part of us. We, um, you know, holy days, um, things like that. And we were in 4-H, all that sort of things you think of Iowa, you know, Iowa farm kids doing. So good. Yeah. <laughs> so moral struggles that might be common to somebody your age, or do you think you, like, escaped that completely? <laughs> um, I'm not looking for nitty-gritty details. Yeah. Unless share it. Actually. That's a great question, Greg. <laughs> <laughs> I was, I was pretty boring. My sister Michaela will tell you that she was. <laughs> and she lived an alternative lifestyle. <laughs> I don't know what that means, but we'll get her to defend herself. Phone's going to well, ring in a second. <laughs> I was. I'll just say this: when you're in a small town and you're not good at sports, <laughs> and you do the newspaper and the yearbook and things like that, um, you don't get invited to the fun parties. <laughs> okay. So you were preserved um, from a lot of that, but you knew what was going yeah. on. I mean, I assume that you were attuned through school and, let's say, the scene, yeah. or not so much. Um, yeah, I knew, I knew what people were doing, and, you know, I knew I didn't want to be a part of it. I guess so my, when I was in junior high, um, I had a friend that invited me to um, her birthday party. And at school that day, she said, hey, this is going to be a great party, um, there's a guy in high school that said he would drive us to Dubuque to this nearby town, and he was going to get us beer, and it's so going to be great. It's a relative of mine. <laughs> <laughs> and I was, all the other girls were like, oh, this is going to be so great. And I said, no way, I'm not doing this. This is not what I want to do at all. This does not feel safe. <laughs> um, cool, Liz. I did not want to be anywhere, you know, and that. Dubuque seemed like a big, scary city. I did not want to go there. <laughs> and um, and so I ended up calling my parents from the phone at school and saying, can you come pick me up? And my dad picked me up and said, you know, what was going on? You're looking forward to the party. And I told him, and he said, you know what? We're going to go to the mall, 
and I'm going to buy you a new dress for mm. um, Go for standing time. up for your you know your principles and stuff. So um, yeah, I guess I've always been like I knew right from wrong, and I didn't want to waver from that. So. That's very moving. It is very profoundly yeah, blessed too, because many mm-hmm. who perhaps sidestepped for whatever reason the moral morass of the day, which is most people, unfortunately, were in that scene. Many of them felt in the midst of it profound alienation and insecurity mm-hmm. and anger and angst. But what a great testimony and for our listeners that it's it's possible to have a culture that is uh, enjoyable and fulfilling and uplifting without having all the junk. Right. So, Lee, let's go to you. Presumably I'm not cutting you short. Anything more we want to add up to the point of you meet? Anything else, Liz? No, that sounds Bring. good. Okay, good. So, Lee, your backstory. Yeah, in fact, many of the things Elizabeth mentioned were some of the reasons why I was really interested in when we first met, uh, getting to know her better. Uh, So I'm from the neighboring small town, which was Cascade, Iowa, about 25 miles from the big, scary city of Dubuque. (laughs) And uh, my parents married a little bit later. They had four kids altogether. I was the oldest kid, Mm. went through K-8 through Catholic school in Cascade, Iowa, public high school. Um, I would say that I was not as well-preserved as Elizabeth was from the challenges that many young people face. And in fact, Greg mentioned uh, a feeling of alienation or negativity that comes from being on the wrong track. And I, I definitely experienced that. And, and it wasn't actually until shortly before I met Elizabeth that I would say I was firmly 100% on the right track, that there was, there was movement in the right direction over a number of years, but didn't get there until sometime in college. Um, always loved to read. And so even when maybe I wasn't on the right track, I definitely knew I wasn't on the right track. And, um, and I knew that there were, I, th- I think that looking back, small town Iowa life, um, it was hard to find people or things to do uh, that, that were f- similar to the things that I read. So I read about other people, other mm-hmm. times, other cultures. And I thought, mm-hmm. boy, wouldn't it be great to grow up then or have that person as my friend? Like Prohibition days? Are we talking <laughs> about what? No, Prohibition definitely was not occurring <laughs> say, nope. in my small town. And, um, yeah, so it wasn't until college. And actually, I went off to the Army in part because uh, I knew that I needed the assistance in character development that the Army would provide. And, and it did. And so by the time so I, I don't got, think I knew that piece. So Loris College in Dubuque, Iowa, preceded the Army? It was, it was at the same time. So I, actually, okay. so I, I took off after my sophomore year uh, from Loris. Uh, mm-hmm. to, go, to go to the Army. I planned about a year earlier, so the beginning of the sophomore year, because I, things were on the right track, I would say, mostly, but I, but I still needed some extra self-development. And I thought, I'm having a hard time developing it myself, and uh, somebody else could help me. That's yeah. impressive. Very mm-hmm. mature. So, Lee, obviously, both of you have intellectual curiosity. It is an important part of your person, all every human person, but you guys discovered it. And you brought it to your, we'll talk about your meeting later, and obviously your family. Um, were you aware of sort of that appetite for truth? Obviously, one isn't a slacker who goes to Harvard Law School. A lot of pagans, but not slackers, <laughs> go, to, go to Harvard. W- when were those seeds being stirred up in you? Boy, so from a young age... We had PBS on TV and lots of books, and uh, so there was just a lot of reading in my house. And, um, and, you know, I guess as I look back, my mom was somebody who read a lot. Dad worked a lot, so he wasn't around all the time. And so I think the kind of – the way I saw an adult human being operate was reading, thinking, talking about the things they were reading. Went to church a lot and so saw the, 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 the priests 
discussing the scriptures and that, that they, they would get into it. And um, so it just seemed like ideas were the things that adult, mature mm-hmm. people did. Wonderful. What a great witness. Mm-hmm. And that's really what it ought to be, the meaning of adult. Um, so take us to the point of your meeting. Tell us the story. <laughs> uh, okay. It was our sophomore year of college. I was at Iowa State, and I was home for spring break. And my dad said, um, on Sunday, let's go to the neighboring town of Dyersville, where the Field of Dreams was filmed. Mm -hmm. And there's a beautiful basilica there. Um, And he said, let's go to this thing called the Latin Mass. They have at noon. (laughs) And after that, I'll take you guys out for brunch in Dyersville. What did your siblings think of that? Was everybody excited or... Um, I don't really remember. I just think we thought, oh, good, a, new, a different church to go to, and we get to go out to eat. So. Did Latin Mass mean anything? Did it connote anything? Um, no, just that I knew we weren't going to be able to understand it, but okay. we might as well <laughs> go right. check it out. So, Especially if brunch is involved, right? Exactly. <laughs> we'll endure. <laughs> so we went, and it's a beautiful basilica. Um, we actually just went back there when we were back in Iowa over Christmas and took our kids there and showed them oh, the church cool. that we— First saw each other in. And the pews. And the pews. Yeah, it's a beautiful Did you reenact it? (laughs) Sorry, keep going. (laughs) Um, So we were there, and, um, you know, being in college and dating, I was looking for, you know, looking for nice-looking guys always. And there were just all elderly people at this mass, (laughs) except (laughs) I noticed this guy that looked about my age, and he was wearing a Loris Collar sweatshirt. I thought, oh, that must be a pretty good guy if he's here on his own. <laughs> right. <laughs> or really quirky. Latin <laughs> um, or someone else bribed <laughs> him with brunch. <laughs> he was there with like another, another college, buddy. Um, college buddy. Okay. Um, so I noticed him and smiled and thought, well, after church, surely he'll say hi. So I waited. Surely. Surely. Like, why wouldn't he? This I mean, beautiful young lady, right? <laughs> well, there's only. Only two young people there. So anyway, was waiting at the end of the pew, and he stopped by my pew and motioned, like, go ahead, go ahead of me. And so I thought, oh, great, he will. So I went ahead and walked out the church and got outside, and he walked right past me, right down the steps. And I remember (laughs) looking at Michaela and saying, oh, that guy, he's, like, walking right past us, you know. Remember I said I needed more character development? (laughs) (laughs) That was an example. (laughs) But um, so I was home that whole week, and my friend Jennifer from high school also went to Loris, and she called and said, hey, you're home for spring break. Why don't you come visit me at Loris College? You can stay overnight in my dorm this weekend. Um, there was a concert coming to town. I don't remember. Gin Blossoms. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's nice. awesome. That's right. <laughs> Something about riding around in cars and <laughs> yep. all that. That's popular right. song. Um, so I did, and I thought, well, maybe I'll see this guy again. So we were at the concert, and I did. I saw him. And I said to my friend Jennifer, there, that's the guy I saw at Latin Mass. Do you know him? No, I don't know who it is. You know, Loris isn't that big. Right. So I figured, you know, I should be able to figure out who he is. Um, So, again, walked towards him, and I'm positive he saw me. But he walked again, like right on past me. So I'm like, okay, whatever. No recall, Lee? You don't recall who she was? That I don't recall. He doesn't. No. Okay. I do recall the church. He does not okay. deny it, yeah. but he does not recall Neither confirm it. nor deny That's this. Right. So then after the concert, Jennifer said, hey, there's this um, dance club that everybody from Loris usually goes to. Let's go over there. 
So we did, and we're dancing, and I look at the door, and he walks in again. And I said to Jennifer, he is here again. This is the third time I've seen him this week. God obviously wants me to meet him. I said, let's go. So I grabbed her arm, and I walked over to him, and I said, hey, didn't I just see you at the Latin Mass in Dyersville on Sunday? And he goes, uh, uh, no. (laughs) (laughs) And I said, okay, fine. And I turned to walk away, and Lee said, wait, 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 can I have a dance? And I said, I don't know if you can find me. She was mad by that time. Yeah, so, but he found me, and we danced, and everything was good. He got, he asked my phone number, so it was fine. (laughs) That's great. So, Lee, from your standpoint, you recollected her, or did you recall that that you had been to a Latin mass, or is that something (laughs) you typically erase from your memory after going, or? No, so I actually remember seeing her at church, thinking she was very beautiful, also thinking, wow, what's this young person doing at Latin mass? So that person must be within my ballpark of a potential wife. And then seeing her waiting out there and not having the courage to stop and say hi. And I, I remember walking out and saying, man, you really messed that one up. Because like that could have been, you know, who knows? That could have been Mrs. Wright. And it turned out to be Mrs. Wright. But God gave me a second chance and a third chance uh, <laughs> later. And, um, and we, when we met at the, the dance club, I, by that time, was in not an existential crisis, but like a decision point in my life where I had to figure out, should I thought I should be, I had thought for a long time I should be a priest, but I also thought maybe I should also get married. And I, so I had, I don't know if challenge is the right word, but offered God the opportunity that if he wanted me to be married, he had a period of time in which he could show me the person that I should marry and the way that I would know that that's the person I should marry is that I came up with the criteria for an ideal wife, and I would ask that person with my list of criteria. And he did. He asked me a ton of questions on the dance floor. While we were dancing. <laughs> wow. Did he pull out a slip of paper and hold it, it over your like shoulder was, or anything? like I was checking it off. Yeah, I, I, had, <laughs> I, I had it memorized. Okay. <laughs> was it a little odd, Liz, or was it pretty natural? Like, what was your sense well, of him beyond the it was actually, ethical checklist? It was actually refreshing, you know, because, yeah. the, you know, you meet this guy and, you know, you have all these questions. I wonder if he's this. I wonder if he's Catholic. I wonder what his family's like. And right away. What were some of the questions, do you recall? Um, how often do you go to church? Um, are your parents married? Wow, that's <laughs> does, your, does your mom work outside the does house? Does your mom work outside the house? <laughs> yeah. how, many, how many kids do you want to have? How many siblings do you have? Because yeah. I done a bunch of study. I looked a bunch of studies <laughs> where, you know, if you come I from a, <laughs> if you come from a family with a certain number of siblings, you're likely to be within like one deviation up or down from that. And okay. so, if the person had just was a single child, then it'd be unlikely they wanted to have a large number of kids. Which was my if I was going to get married, I was going to go whole hog, and <laughs> So the, the questions were all meant to get Interesting it. image from the yeah. farm. <laughs> right, oh, right, I love right. it. <laughs> yeah. So that did you go so like, cool. okay, let's talk humane vitae, let's just go right there kind of thing? or No. no. I guess I thought that would be too you, aggressive. Okay. That's a, great, that's a great point. You did not just say that. Yeah. That's funny. That yeah, is that is weird because obviously asking the questions is really Let's aggressive. talk contraception since, you know, it's our first date and all. Yeah. 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 I guess I just thought that the list itself was, it was odd, but not as directly odd as what like a question like sure. you use contraception. And that would be kind of maybe like, hey, where's yeah, this guy's that. mind going, right? Directly to the gutter where he's thinking. Right, sure, terms. sure. Yeah, and Elizabeth, since she had grown up in the country, I thought that, oh, you know, you yeah. think of uh, young ladies who grew up on farms as having a characteristic sure. set of virtues, like a good work ethic and and a solid family life. 
or the country church was really nice. Mm. Like it, it was, was really nice. It was kind of like you could imagine like an English country church where it's it's bucolic. There's a priest who's been there for a long period of time. He's respected. There's a community. It's the center mm-hmm. of the community life. It was really a neat part of of it's dating Elizabeth. <laughs> yeah, it's Aww. actually it's actually a part That's of sad. the decline of American Catholicism. It's Aww. really sad. Yeah. So I come from this territory. My parents both grew up in Dubuque, Iowa, and uncles in Dyersville. So I felt oh. an immediate connection with you. Mm-hmm. Of course, my dad is undergrad was at Loris, which you knew. So I'm picturing nice, the town, nice. I, I, the feel, Midwest. All of that is really beautiful. So um, both of you coming from generally moral cultures and families, preserved from a lot of the morass that we hear of of people your age in other parts of the country and testimonials we had in the past. You came to it with uh, a high degree of virtue, relatively speaking, and uh, with a vision, if you will, of what marriage is all about, which is pretty phenomenal. Um, Lee, like you said, I like the fact that you were attuned to the that these aren't just sort of ethereal ideas, but they have relevance for success in marriage and success in life, the mm-hmm. questions that you had for Liz. I love it that our listeners are listening. So now you have seven children, uh, your eldest, a freshman at Hillsdale, Justin, mm-hmm. and uh, 19, Probably something like that, 18, 18. okay. And um, do you share this story with them about both the importance of that background and that culture, um, and how do they respond to it? Because they're, they're, they're surrounded by, I suspect, more influences, uh, if not you know, culture, uh, immediate, but also the media electronic stuff, which is a little difficult to, you know, avoid. Sure. So h- how does that, how is that working out? How, how is imparting these ideals to them? What are some of the challenges there? Want to go? Well, I tell my kids to speak up, <laughs> you know, not to be afraid um, to introduce themselves to people. Um, I, I felt like I was, um, in high school, I was really, really shy. And so when I got to college, I wanted to be sure that I was no longer shy anymore. Um, so I made it a, a goal to join groups, to be leaders in those groups, um, and just to learn to speak out and to be more confident, um, which that enabled me to go up to Lee. <laughs> right. You know, if I wasn't, if I would have been like him and still nervous about it, then we never would have met. So I like to tell that story to our kids often <laughs> and to just remind them, if you, you know, Whoever, if it's someone you think might be a nice friend, just go up, talk to them, introduce yourself, get to know each other. Um, yeah, I think that's really important. Yeah, so I think our approach is, I think Elizabeth's parents and my parents raised us in, in by their best lights, which was pretty good and, mm-hmm. uh, and maybe very good. And I think that allowed for some challenges, I'll speak for myself, in facing questions in situations that... They may have prepared for me for in a general way, but not specifically. So when when such and such happens, what should you do? And those kind of that, that kind of conversation never occurred. So Elizabeth's mm-hmm. point is that mm-hmm. that given our experience of being unprepared for a variety of situations, our kids would probably say we say too much about it, right. but we do. <laughs> we we'll directly say things like there may maybe is a young gentleman who's on the wrong track, and we'll talk about that may not be somebody. You, you'd want to marry for these reasons or how could we look at that person as, as how could that person uh, get off, get on the right track? Um, so, so directly addressing questions that, that we see our kids either facing or will face and how do they react? I think sometimes mm-hmm. open, sometimes less open. So typical kids, typical. right? <laughs> right. That's and you great. know that that influence is so deep that you, mm-hmm. you won't see most likely until 
years down the road. Right. That's and what people say. But you guys with older kids, you can tell us what that. It happens. <laughs> well, we're in the fog of war is maybe the main point I'm trying to make that I don't care how faithful culture you want to have and we want to be ecclesia called out accessible and reaching the world around us we want to be relevant right and there's that dynamic of both the interior formation and uh the strengthening of the virtue and the will but also it is strengthened by interaction with the world around us and uh we've never i don't think had a higher level of attack through so many uh subtle means and anonymous sure. means internet porn electronic stuff the dopamine stuff i mean we are facing a battle and uh, God desires everyone that we meet and that we know, our kids, their culture, the generation, to know him. And uh, we're learning that, let's face it, as you guys are. Um, we know that we could talk about many things here, but this is obviously just a key area, and we know it's a struggle. Um, but share with us just a snapshot, a journey with us, take us on the journey a little bit from your dance date to the point of the altar. What are some key moments leading you up to the point of marriage? Yeah, so we courted... So dated for a, a year, seriously. Um, so I got Elizabeth's phone number, uh, called her house, spoke with her father, came and met what a dude. her dad, <laughs> and then took Elizabeth out. And so we started dating regularly for about a year. Yes. Mm-hmm. And and then and then after and then my, my my view was if you if you're in there for a year and you and you don't know what's going on, then there's something wrong, and you need to either say yes, I'm going to be committed here and get engaged, or Mm-hmm. Take a different direction, and so then I asked Elizabeth after a year of dating, "What were your dates mm-hmm. like?" Well, um, since we since he went to Loris and I went to Iowa State, um, it wasn't. I, I guess when we when we first met, actually, you went to basic training. That's right. I was gone for about eight and months, so that yeah. actually was really nice because there were rarely phone calls, um, but it was letter writing. Oh, um, cool. old-fashioned snail mail and that was wonderful mm-hmm. because we would write long letters to each other and it was it was great going to the mailbox you know and my that's so cool you yeah. still have them yeah we do have the kids read them have you pulled them out not no. yet okay i don't want to <laughs> yeah. linger there but anyways yeah no, i'm looking forward to it at some point yeah. i don't know sure. like 50th anniversary or what sure. but yeah but it, it allowed me to get to know elizabeth without the typical mm-hmm. challenges of a young guy sure. physically being around a young lady and right. getting to know her dreams and Mm-hmm. Sharing my dreams and seeing that they coincided, and right. and um, and then kind of planning and and really, yeah. it was. I thought it was a very positive experience. When yeah. did you know? So, so I oh. knew the night I met Elizabeth. Yeah. I Whoa. Did. I did too. Immediately. Really? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't sleep that night, and actually, I, after I left, went back to my dorm room with my where my buddies were at, and I just sat in my chair. I said thanks to God because he had, he had answered the question that I had given him. That challenge that wasn't a challenge. <laughs> yeah, and um, and I I was just kind of stunned. It was really a, I I don't have an ex- I, I don't have like a normal ex- I don't know what a normal sure. mm-hmm, mm-hmm. way to describe that phenomenon would be. So yeah, you both really definitely. had a view of 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 dating as a participation in a sacrament. Mm-hmm. It's not a sacrament, but it is a participate. It's telos. It's end in mind is marriage, and you both understood that. And that if you're going to be exclusively dating, um, if it's not going to grow in a certain direction, you really ought not be in it. And if there's not a proper runway, a proper fireplace, if you will, by God's design, you're going to put yourself in a place of danger. I hear that theme kind yep. of in both of your interaction. Mm-hmm. You are responding to a design that God has given us. 
of the nature of romance and dating. You are subordinating your affections, your desires, your attractions to something bigger than just he's cute, she's cute, we like each other. You understood, if you will, Mm -hmm. that the headline over this is God's design for marriage. I'm hearing that loud and clear, and I think that's awesome. So um, you obviously got engaged and married. Tell us a little bit about about marriage and then maybe early family. What were some of the struggles and challenges? How was God working in the midst of that and the Mm -hmm. growth? Well, um, when we first got married, Lee started law school um, at the University of Iowa. And it was interesting up to the, when and one question I had asked Lee when we were when we had first met is, um, what's your major? What do you want to do with your life? Because I knew I wanted to be a stay-at-home mom. Mm. And so I wanted to make sure. I had met some nice guys at Iowa State um, who had the idea of, oh, it's going to be great when my wife when I get married and my wife works and hopefully she makes more money so I can stay at home. I mean, this was back in the nineties wow. and I was like, Oh, I want to meet a guy who <laughs> isn't going to even think. Right. That. Exactly. <laughs> so, um, Lee said his major was history. And I said, what are you going to do with that? And he said, well, I guess I'll be a history professor. And I said, oh, okay. Are those jobs easy to get? <laughs> and he what said, "What do those guys make? What, how much money do they make?" <laughs> and he said, "I don't know. I don't know." I literally had never thought he about never that because I was still in the mode of, "I'm not sure if I'm going to get married," so I, right. I didn't look into it. So then he looked into it and realized it's kind of hard to get a job as a professor, as a history professor, if you're a white guy. If you're a white guy. Mm-hmm. So um, I was talking to my dad about it, and he said, "Well, why don't you suggest that Lee go to law school?" So I talked to Lee, and he said, wow, never thought about that. But, yeah, maybe that's something I should look into. So I like to argue. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, so then we're at Iowa, um, and I was working at a bank, really liked my job, customer service. um, And Lee had a friend at law school who was Mormon or no? Evangelical Christian. Evangelical Mm. Christian. And – he um, was in law school and had a child already. Mm-hmm. And we had already just thought, we'll just do NFP through law school because I obviously need to work while he's in school. And this friend told Lee, um, this is the best time to have kids is when you're in law school because you have free time. When you're a lawyer, you're going to be so busy. Um, you guys should think about having kids right away. So he talked about so we talked about it and I thought, well, I guess we could try. <laughs> and so yeah, we had Justin. Yeah. And that after was after first year. After your first year. Wow. And then yeah. Felicity came so every two years after that. Yeah. Let so. me back up a second. For many who are listening, especially women, uh, who may have, as we all are drinking the Kool-Aid of maybe feminism and my value is in my work and my career. And the challenges many of them have of a built-in maternal, maybe instinct, although I fear that maybe some of that has been diminished or compromised among many of, maybe even your peers, you really never had those struggles. You were really clear on a desire to be a godly wife and mother, and you're very smart. You went to school, obviously, but did you ever struggle with some of the value questions, esteem questions that many in your generation, our generation, face? Hmm. No, I guess I don't think so, just because um, I had a mom that stayed home. Um, my sister stays home with her kids. Um, I whenever we, we moved around a lot, um, and I would always try and find a rosary group of mothers in the new parish that we were at. 
And um, those types of moms were, I would become friends with them and they were always stay-at-home moms. So it was just always surrounded by good friends that were stay-at-home moms. And Lee always supported me, you know, always said he was thankful that I was at home with the kids Um, and just helping the, you know, the home life. Um, So I never felt that way at all. So seven children, you get the responses that we've gotten in life with six kids, whether it be in the store or you introduce yourself and better you than me and (laughs) are you from Utah and don't you have a TV and whatever else they ask you. Um, How did you respond in life now that, you know, your oldest is now 18 or 19? You know, how did you respond to some of that cultural contentiousness questioning and I don't know what was going on in your heart when people would ask those questions because you and I, it's natural, but a lot of folks, it is like, are you kidding me? Seven kids? How could you? What do we, you know, whatever. How have, yeah. how have you learned to maybe think about that or respond to it for those who maybe do have those questions? Yeah. Um, so I, I always thought was, uh, there were different stages, I think. So at first I thought it was just kind of interesting that people would make comments and I would try to make lighthearted not not construct not critical responses, and then there was a period of time where I was actually a little bit angry when people do that, mm-hmm. and I want to I would want to say something negative, but I I would say for the last I don't know a decade or so or more, my view and I think our view has been that we try to present a counterintuitive view, which is it's because of the abundance of children and love that comes with that that it's a it's a it's a real it's like it's like a, a, a you know an overflowing. A uh, bottle of something really good, like it's just a really rich. Sometimes maybe a little bit too rich, but a very rich, <laughs> very rich life. And it reminded me, we were at Mackinac Island last. We took the family to Mackinac Island last summer, summer and uh, we were getting a picture. There's that arch rock up there. I don't know if you guys have been up there. Mm-hmm. It's kind of an iconic rock. And like some, an older couple took some pictures, and I could I could see that they were impressed with what seemed like, and for the most part, was a happy family of with that large mm-hmm. number of kids. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of, I think, our M.O. right now in yeah. responding to that. Yeah. I, I see delight, of mm-hmm. course, and I see that joy. And I do think a key idea is joyful sacrifice, both of those words being important. Um, and maybe part of this is that folks don't recognize the joy that comes from self-sacrifice. I mean, we're in high school, you have your projects maybe where you're helping old folks or whatever. We feel great when we're sacrificing. And it's, let's face it, by God's design revealed in Jesus, the nature of love that perfects us. And I don't know how many people maybe understand that in absence of that, they're languishing. I mean, how much of our lives are spent to avoid sacrifice? Sure. Mm-hmm. And, and then there's the joyful part, too, though, that, let's face it, middle of the night, seven kids, um, sickness, uh, bills, worries, concerns, doors broken for the fifth time in three weeks. You know, the common things in our homes that are there. Um, how, how would you say that you guys have grown, I don't know, in understanding this dynamic of Trinity uh, in husband and wife and family, that mutual self-gift and the sacrifice aspect? How have you come to understand and embrace maybe more fully the delight in the midst of, let's face it, the stories? I've got an anecdote. So we lay it on. The Strang family needed a new vehicle because the current Strang fleet is full of two hundred thousand plus mile vehicles that are more or less reliable, unreliable. And so I was been looking the internet for a transit, found one in New Jersey, took the two little Strang boys with me, drove out there last Sunday, and then spent like the day at this dealership haggling and, and got one. 
And so, like, the little boys in this used transit driving cross-country, stopping at McDonald's, and they were, like, loving it. So it was like this – they really had this really joyful experience. But I think to an outsider, it might also be a materially unhappy experience, mm. right? Because it's, it's, a, it's a used vehicle. It has some dings and dents. It's not a Corvette. It's not, like, something that you would have with just one or two kids. Yeah. And they're going to McDonald's, and they're not going right. to whatever the other right. better places are for people to go. And they just had really – I had a really fun time with them, even though materially it was a very simple experience. That's so beautiful. I remember yeah. vividly, if I could just yeah. tag on to your antidote, um, we were always, when our kids were real little, just the dresser situation was always an issue, <laughs> yeah. right? Because like a good solid dresser hard was to find. so expensive and hard to find. So we always ended up with the third or fourth hand-me-down over or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I remember at one point... We found a solid good one, you know, in the classified or garage sale or whatever it was. Mm. And I remember the delight when we were um, arranging the kids' clothes and Joseph and John Paul, who were just a year apart, they could not believe that they actually each got their own pajama drawer. (laughs) Like it was like Christmas morning. And I remember at first being like, that's so sad. And then I thought... That is so awesome. Like, they are so grateful that they each get Mm -hmm. a drawer (laughs) of their own. So it's those those moments that, I mean, those are... An outsider might be like, wow, that is really poverty. Pathetic. (laughs) (laughs) That's beautiful. You guys give great witness to that. Let's jump to uh, the school. Well, before we go to the school, I want to say, so today, (laughs) marriage and family are under attack. Mm -hmm. We know it. In the culture, identity wars and gender issues and confusion and all that. I don't want to go there. Mm-hmm. But really say that there are many couples that you and I know that are that are embattled, uh, marriages that are embattled. And we're so blessed in this community to have such rich networks of connection. And you mentioned some of them, Liz. And I just want our audience to know that we're not meant to go at it alone. Mm-hmm. Um, you guys host things. You have barn parties. We have our home things. And just for any listening right now, you should never, ever feel um, in the midst of your struggle that you are alone, whether you're a woman in need of a conversation, Liz or Stephanie here would be great ones to connect with about being a spouse or being a parent. And the same for the men. Um, can't say it's strong enough. I just want to emphasize these are godly family strengths. When I say godly, we're striving, right? We're on the journey. But there's so many that are seeking to live it out, that are dealing with the real struggles, and so many connect points. Guys having a cigar and a scotch or a beer or whatever. Women getting together and having coffee. I mean, if you don't know of those realities, let me just punctuate that they exist, and they exist in frequency. And if you want to find out more and you need a connect point of support, just send me an email, alive at massimpact.us, alive at massimpact.us. These realities, you think about seven kids and our family, six, there's no way, folks, we'd be able to do this if we weren't receiving the grace of the sacraments in God's community and availing ourselves to it. That's key. They were actually receiving that grace and interacting with other families and uh, the blessing of growing together. And then there's something special going on in particular in this community. And mm-hmm. Strangs, you guys really kind of punctuate that. So we're going to shift to some other subjects here as we, we see the time here. And I know there's so much more we could talk about. Let's talk charter school. Let's talk Whoa, academics and, and education. <laughs> does Academics and education. And just for the record, folks, we do homeschool. I grew up, went to Catholic high school, grade school. So did Stephanie, my wife. And a high regard for the high ideals, uh, inception of what Catholic schools and systems were all about. 
High regard for the teachers and the hard work, and I know we share this with you guys also, Strangs, and the efforts that take place there. There's no perfect place, but I will just kind of throw it out there and say we are in a moment of crisis in this culture, and a a big component of it is education. We want to be frank about this. You may disagree with what you hear the Strangs say or us say right now, but we need to be plain and candid and open up the conversation for dialogue. So tell us first and foremost, what's, what is the charter school situation happening? And give us some of the reasons that brought us to this point. Sure. So a charter school in Ohio is a public school that's independently governed. There's a board of, of you know, five or so people who are, who, who are substitute for the normal public school board. And they're, they're state-supported through in- income tax dollars that come back to, uh, to, to that school. Uh, they don't take money away from your local public school. Ohio is, is a pioneer in the charter school movement in, in, in the country. And Hillsdale College, over the last decade, has been uh, creating a network of charter schools with a focus on classical education, which we can talk about what that means in a second. And there are about 30-ish of those schools in the country. There are none in Ohio. And the first one in Ohio, the first tuition-free classical charter school, is going to be coming to Toledo, Ohio this fall. In Woo-hoo. August, awesome. Mm-hmm. A little too so late for excellent. us, but it's awesome. <laughs> I know, <laughs> I know, I know. Yeah, we had to work to get it here before. Well, some of our kids could still uh, take advantage of it. Yes, and um, and so it's going to. What, what, so you might say, well, what, what's what's different about this school from a, a standard public school or from a, a private school? So most schools in this area utilize the same books. Uh, part of the reason is because the private schools get the books for quote free from uh, with with state monies. Uh, this the schools, public and private in this area, follow the Common Core. They follow state mandated standards, and and unfortunately, uh, in my view, uh, the private schools, uh, without uh, thinking through the implications of their adoption of the Common Core curriculum, uh, back during the President Obama administration, um, have have made it hard to distinguish themselves from the from the public schools, and so they are functionally very similar to public schools, but with a $12,000 or so annual price tag. And so this charter school is meant to distinguish itself by being tuition-free, but also focusing on classical education. So Greg, you talked about uh, being a a product of Catholic education and valuing that that long tradition. And it is a 2,000-plus year tradition building on, on the way the Greeks and the Romans educated their children. And classical education in America today does that. And so if people want to learn more about it, they go to the Barney Charter School Initiative website at Hillsdale College, and you can look and see what our curriculum is. Just to give you an example, one of the classes I teach is constitutional law, and I always ask, how many of you have read the Constitution before you came to my class? And unfortunately, literally out of a class of 90 will be a handful, five, wow. eight, wow. and wow. which awesome. I've, be- I've become unsurprised over the years, unfortunately. Um, mm-hmm. But in seventh grade, in our school, in American history, the kids are going to spend weeks on the U.S. on the text of the U.S. Constitution, in addition to the Federalist Papers and James Madison and George Washington, the et Federalist Papers. That's right, seventh <laughs> grade. That's so good. And so, and so, classical education is fo- is focused on an emphasis on reading, an emphasis on research and writing, an emphasis on on being able to present yourself orally. So the class is a a age appropriate discussion where the teacher is leading a conversation with the students, directing the students towards better knowledge, putting a little bit of pressure on the students as appropriate to help push them to be able to expand themselves in a way they might not might not otherwise do so. And the results in the in the classical schools that are out there are spectacular. And when you look at like just metrics, they tend to score 
uh, higher on standardized testing, and not just higher, but like significantly higher, three points higher than your average private school, for example, they tend to uh, go to, they go to, quote, better schools. They tend to, when you look at the social science literature, they tend to um, do those things that show a vibrant citizenship, like voting, leadership in civic organizations, being leaders in public life. And that's actually our motto. So our motto is to form human beings so that they can be, so that they can be, have flourishing individual lives, but then also be leaders in our community. Where do they find out morally, and is there an application process? How does it work? So we are finishing up our website. We do have a Facebook page. So if you look for Northwest Ohio Classical Academy, our Facebook page comes up. Um, we have materials that I'm happy to send people. If somebody wants to send me an email at Strang the number two, at gmail.com, Strang the number two, at gmail.com, I'll send out uh, basically an electronic copy of a nice folder that, and binder that we've put together. And then beginning in the spring, we'll be holding information sessions throughout the Toledo area for parents, grandparents, hopefully students, who are interested in learning more about Northwest Ohio Classical Academy awesome. and all, all it has to offer. You had you, brought, go sorry, ahead. is there a location chosen yet? So there, we're, we're like 99%. We're, we're in the, we, we have an offer that's accepted on, on a school building. It's, it's, in an, it's in a nice area. The building is in very good shape. So the answer is yes, but not quite there to reveal okay. it yet. All right, awesome. That's so exciting. So two, three years yeah, ago, exciting. you brought in the head of Hillsdale Academy who punctuated some of the distinctions from Common Core and classical education. Yes. What are some yeah. of the key features? I could communicate uh, things that this was the education of our founding fathers. And I think one of the key anecdotes there, just if I would throw out one thought that struck, with, struck me is most people graduating from college today would not have graduated from seventh or eighth grade back then. I'll repeat that. Most people graduating from college today would not have been able to graduate from 7th and 8th grade back in the day of that solid classical education of our founding fathers. Mm -hmm. And I think a second point here is a democracy demands this kind of education. It demands this kind of rigor. And part three may be, do we not see the decline of just critical thinking? Just the capacity, uh, principle of non-contradiction, something to be A and not A at the same time. It's impossible. We see in argumentation and conversation an utter loss of principles of coherence and logic, and I know you even get that in law school. So those are some things I'm bursting in with some of my thoughts there. But what stands out for you, Lee, is why this is so important? Yeah, so I think of classical education. So here's the common core sales pitch, college and career ready. Now, I want my kids to be college and career ready, right? Going to college helps you become a more well-rounded human being, an adult. Career ready, we need to have careers to have the resources to live dignified human lives. But that definitely is not the entirety of my kids. My kids are much more than that. And classical education gives my kids the tools to be not just the best professional, but the best wife or husband or friend, mm -hmm. somebody who's going to have a read great literature and going to know what a good friendship is like and what a bad friendship is like. Mm -hmm. Somebody who's going to have read the Federalist Papers, be able to understand them, Greg, so understand the arguments, because mm -hmm. these were written in newspapers, for gosh sakes, in 1787, and be able to, and be able to understand them and help therefore be better citizens. So classical education helps your children be the best children, be the best adults they can be. Awesome. With a few moments that we have left, and it's been a delightful time uh, with you, Strangs, we'll have to have you back. Um, punctuate some of the key themes, Lee and Liz, if you want to add, 
of our political landscape right now. For our listeners, Trump is going to address the nation for eight, nine minutes tonight in the wall. Uh, I suspect he's going to move in the strategic direction of, of security, uh, invoking that as a matter of security. Um, again, I think the major platform is fostering an atmosphere of respectful conversation about our fundamental principles. I'm not waving a flag for Republicans or Democrats. What what is this truth, natural law participating in divine law that is for the good of the human person that our, our if you will, our government was set up to accomplish? What are some key themes, Lee? Uh, well, so I, this is a, a trying time, I think, for politics. It's a time of realignment. I uh, was able to, I had the privilege of attending a lecture by Rusty Reno, the editor of First Things Magazine, mm-hmm. about a month mm-hmm. ago. And Reno was writing in First Things Magazine, as I guess, actually changed my view of looking at the American political landscape, which here I would characterize myself previously as a small libertarian. So kind of freedom all over the place, especially in economic areas. And Reno's claim is that for both, he has critiques of the left, which I think all of us would agree with, and, and we can get into another time. But he has a critique of the right, which I hadn't really thought much about. And I think Donald Trump capitalizes on that phenomenon, which is when you have near absolute freedom for capital and talent, that means that people who don't have much capital and people who don't have talent as defined by Silicon Valley or the New York financial uh, markets are, are left behind. They're left behind financially. They're left behind emotionally. They're left behind in their communities. And, and so why do we have an ep- opioid epidemic? Why do we have the highest suicide rate for white males ever? Why do we have high unemployment rates, high rates of people who are in disability in small and middle-sized American towns? It's because of the disjunction between the free market and, and it's spreading lots of benefits on a, on a segment of American population. But for a, a large chunk of the American population, it's leaving them behind. And I think mm. Trump represents that phenomenon to a large degree. Interesting. And I, I wonder another conversation we will certainly have to have the degree to which historically, but I mean the last 10 years, we've engendered a, co- a culture of entitlement versus empowerment, that there's been a absence of connecting with maybe the gifts and talents and fostering and cultivating them, especially when you look at the stats of how many are immersed in digital, electronic, passive entertainment. They don't even know their gifts or their talents. And I think, you know, we've tied an education night, we've talked about the family. These sure. are all, if you underpinnings of the kingdom. So, folks, let's conclude tonight in prayer in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Dear Lord Jesus, you made us in your image and likeness for your indwelling spirit. We just declare your kingdom alive in our marriages and families and community. And we pray that it overflows, Lord, through each of us in the pattern of Jesus Christ, that your kingdom come and your will be done. Through Christ our Lord we pray. Amen.